Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Aaron White, your host, and you are listening to FF Plus, your outlet for weekly reviews that are simple, short, and spoiler-free. We don't like to waste your time on this show, as you should know, so we'll get right to the point. I have two films to share about today, the first of which is Boston Strangler, coming from 20th Century Studios. It stars Kira Knightley, Carrie Coon, Alessandro Nivola, Chris Cooper, David Dusmalkian, and Morgan Spector. It is directed by Matt Ruskin and written by Matt Ruskin. Cinematography is by Ben Cutchins. Music is by Paul Leonard Morgan. It runs 112 minutes and is rated R for some violent content and language. What's it about? It is based on a true story. Reporters Loretta McLaughlin and Jean Cole bravely pursue the story of the Boston Strangler at great personal risk, putting their own lives on the line in their quest to uncover the truth. Now, I was not familiar with the Boston Strangler before I watched this film. This refers to the name given to a serial killer in the early 60s who was responsible for the murders of, I believe, 13 women ranging in ages from very young teenagers all the way up to women in their 80s. And many of the first victims that were found were also specifically elderly women. The story was broken by a couple of female journalists, and so that's really what we're getting this told to us through the lens of in the movie version. It follows Loretta, played by Kieran Knightley, who is tired of the lifestyle desk at the Boston Record American and she embarks on this investigative journalism and ultimately breaks the story of the Boston Strangler. She faces, unsurprisingly, a lot of sexism in the form of people discrediting her work due to the belief that she is incapable, or also that she is just merely following gossip and using her gender to coerce information out of people. And she faces a police force who don't really like that she is pressuring them to do their job better and faster. She also has to navigate challenges of simultaneously being a mom and a wife and a daughter to an aging mother of her own. Luckily, she has Chris Cooper as her editor, Jack McLean. He supports her initially, but faces pressure from above to shut her down because they believe that her reporting is bogus. I really like how his character kind of ebbs and flows throughout the story, how he does show her support and then waver at one point, but also come back around to ultimately be someone that she needs to have in her corner. The reality is, and as we have seen in another very similar movie to this, as far as what its theme is, she said from 2020-22, sometimes you have women trying to break into areas that they have not been given as many opportunities in, especially like this back in the 60s. And it's going to take something like a male in power, a male editor to empower his female employees and give them the chance to show what they can do. And I felt like the film displays that really well. Carrie Coon is also in this film as Jean Cole. She is brought in to assist Loretta on the investigation and provide kind of a veteran reporter presence and help show Loretta what it's like to go after a story like this because it's Loretta's first time 
the strength of women covering this story while women are the victims of this particular serial killer can't really be overstated. At one point, the reporters received stacks of letters from women telling them about how they feel and expressing support for the determination and the attention to detail that the female reporters are using to get this job done. This was a very terrifying time in our history of this area. I mean, women were locking their doors and afraid to go outside. And even some women even moved out of the area to avoid the potential danger of becoming the next victim of this serial killer. As far as the story goes, the film gets right into things with a murder, and then it goes backwards in time to where we see the first three victims having been discovered and the start of the reporting. The look of the film is very David Fincher. It has a Zodiac sheen to it, a similar color palette that definitely reminded me of that film. There's also some strong stylistic cinematography, zooming in on someone as they put their face up against a wall when they're hearing something on the other side and then the camera will fade into the other room through the wall or it will you know, flash to a bunch of victims who turn their head quickly one by one to look at the camera as reporters are talking about them in voiceover. So there's a little bit of a like fantastical element that kind of gets pushed into this at times that I don't know that I was a fan of. There's also a few slow motion moments where the camera kind of really gets specific about how it's looking at an object or or how someone is walking into a crime scene. And it kind of, in my opinion, it sort of makes these things a little over dramatized, but they're trying to do something to set it apart from just being like the quality of a TV movie or looking like a TV movie. In the end, I don't know that it did enough to separate itself, but I give them credit for attempting to kind of give it a little bit of a cinematic style, even if it didn't result in something that I feel enhanced the film in a major way. They also do take great care usually to not show us the strangler or to only show him from behind or inside profile even when it depicts him in the act of murder, we don't see his face. So throughout the movie, it's all about him remaining mysterious and them trying to nail down who this person or potential people could be that are responsible for these killings. It's a very propulsive movie right from the start. It does have that kind of almost two hour runtime, but it moves pretty quickly for the most part. And it does tend to keep the tension high as the strangler is on the loose. And the journalists are facing hurdle after hurdle to overcome, as well as ending up to putting themselves in potential danger. The themes overall are pretty formulaic, honestly. This is nothing new. It is definitely, she said, plus Zodiac budget, in a way. I, that's kind of how I look at it. But it's well presented. If you don't know the story already, it does get a little wild. There are questionable confessions, there is a multiple killer theory, there's prison murder. So it's a little more twisty than a straightforward whodunit, and it actually even ends up crossing state lines, which is an additional complication to things. Yet, overall, it does feel a bit bland from a story perspective, and while I was enjoying it enough in the moment, it has not been on my thoughts at all since I saw it. I feel like this is an ideal type of story to land 
direct to a streaming service, which is what's happening with this one. It feels like a perfect fit for that. So Boston Strangler will be streaming on Hulu on March 17th. I do recommend it. I've actually already texted several of my friends who are into true crime and into other like type journalism type movies. And I think that this is something that a lot of people will just watch at home and enjoy. It's a perfectly fine movie and that is acceptable. And so I think that they do a good job. I think Kira Knightley does a really good job as far as leading the film as Loretta, the, the primary journalist here. And you could do a lot worse. So I would say it's definitely worthy of a Friday night movie night at home. You'll enjoy it. You'll forget it the next day. And that's totally fine sometimes. And now for the star of our show, my review of John Wick, Chapter 4, coming from Lionsgate. It stars Keanu Reeves, Donnie Yen, Bill Skarsgård, Lawrence Fishburne, Hiroyuki Sanada, Shamir Anderson, Lance Reddick, Rina Sawayama, Scott Adkins, Clancy Brown, Natalia Tina, Marco Zoror, and Ian McShane. It is directed by Chad Stahelski, and it is written by Shay Hatton and Michael Finch. Cinematography is by Dan Lauston. Music by Tyler Bates and Joel J. Richard. It runs a whopping 169 minutes. And I don't know the rating yet, but I'm fairly sure that it's going to be a hard R. There's plenty of death, mayhem, blood, and language. What's it about? John Wick uncovers a path to defeating the high table. But before he can earn his freedom, Wick must face off against a new enemy with powerful alliances across the globe and forces that turn old friends into foes. Wow, what a ride. Unlike our previous two sequels, this third one does not pick up at the exact moment the last one ended. In case you don't recall, John had been seemingly betrayed by the Continental Manager and his good friend, Winston, when the Adjudicator from the high table, offered him reinstatement at the cost of John's life. Winston shoots him, and John hilariously tumbles multiple stories off of the Continental Hotel, bouncing off of awnings on his way down and landing flat face first into the street. Eventually, he is scooped up and he is brought to the Bowery King, and we're left expecting the two of them to join forces and most likely be seeking major revenge against Winston and the High Table. We start Chapter 4 with John Wick at the end of his recovery and training period, and immediately jump right back to following him around the world on his mission. Much of this one, even more so than what came before, feels directly inspired by samurai films and old spaghetti westerns. The way that the hero's journey takes place seems to echo those stylistically in the same way that maybe it was a little more of an existential crisis that John was facing in like, for example, John Wick 2, or maybe more of like a mythological journey that he was on that I would consider that in part three. With the extended runtime comes pros and cons we are introduced to an entirely new group of big bads, several old acquaintances, and one new pair to the game. That's a lot of relationship building to pack in, and they accomplish it fairly well. 
John's relationship with a blind assassin named Kane, played brilliantly by Donnie Yen, is a major factor and a high point of the narrative. And everyone that is introduced has at least one moment to shine. I did find myself wanting more of Hiroyuki Sanada and Rina Saoyama, though. The way that their storyline sort of abruptly ends fairly early on and then never returns was a kind of a letdown for me. Shamir Anderson and his canine friend are our new pairing that enters John's world and bring even more killer dog action than Halle Berry's pups provided in part three. There's also a great story aspect to the dog's inclusion here that I felt was very satisfying, especially in light of what we've had to experience with regards to our dogs in this series so far. Shamir kills it. He is awesome and a wonderful addition to this cast. And if this series is going to continue, I'm not sure if they're making a part five yet or not. I haven't looked that up. I do hope that he and his dog are a part of it. From the villain side, Bill Skarsgård is the one in charge of hunting down Wick this time around, and he's entirely serviceable. We all know that Bill Skarsgård plays a great villain, so he gets the job done. But honestly, at this point, it felt like we were just recycling things. They even call this out in the dialogue at one point. They talk about how the high table will just replace everyone over and over and they even question whether this is a battle that John can ever win and what real peace even looks like for him. The star of the bad guys for me was Scott Adkins. His performance is not something you're going to expect, but it is one of the most fun and memorable scenes in the film. If you want a taste of what to think this could be like, it reminded me of a boss fight you might see in a Yakuza video game. I know not everyone is going to have any idea what I'm talking about, but if you've played those video games by chance, then you probably know exactly what I'm getting at. There's a layer of comedy built into it that is just wonderful, and he does a phenomenal job. It also largely takes place in yet another gorgeously lit nightclub, but the Annie is upped considerably for this fight with waterfalls and the neon really just spectacularly shown it was awesome and I, I can't say enough about that particular set piece the cinematography and choreography both absolutely outstanding without saying much more in detail I did find myself happy with where the story leaves off but I really missed the level of kind of deeper symbolism and mythology that had been built previously it really feels like they ran out of interesting things to do in this one. And so it was just more of the same, just more promises and double crosses and then coming back together instead of double, double crossing and always choices and consequences. But there was just really no new additional interesting aspects to the world building outside of getting to visit a different continental hotel which was pretty sweet it just felt like they kind of were building up to this bigger and bigger and bigger idea of the high table and i'll be honest it didn't all play out quite the way that i maybe would have liked it to it wasn't as bombastic and interesting 
from a mythological perspective. From an action standpoint, though, this whole movie rocks. It goes full superhero now, where everyone seems to have those nifty bulletproof suit jackets, and John can bounce off more cars than he has fingers and toes, and still just pop right back up. We get some new weapons into the fold as well that make for some great new fight scenes. It's all very good, but the final hour is among the best I've ever seen in an action movie. It is pure propulsive energy and unique set piece after unique set piece. They all look, sound, and feel incredible, particularly one lengthy sequence where an incendiary shotgun stars that is shot from this top-down isometric perspective and looks literally like a live-action version of the Hotline Miami video game. The audience couldn't get enough of this, and we were all just squealing with joy throughout it. It's probably because this last hour is so absolutely just spectacular that I can overlook some of the slog it takes in getting there. You definitely leave the theater on a high note, so big time kudos to the team for that. Speaking of leaving the theater, there is a post-credit scene, so be sure to stick around for that at the very end if you want a taste of what may be to come. My overall thoughts on the film are that it was a fitting new entry to the franchise, yet another banger that raised the bar in action and camera work to a level that only movies in this same series seem to be able to compete with. That being said, it is too long and plotting at times. And so for now, overall, it slots in at about fourth in my rankings of the movies. Don't let that deter you, though, because I love them all dearly. John Wick Chapter 4 will be available in theaters on March 24th. (laughs) Am I feeling it? Are you kidding me? Yes, of course I'm feeling it. Go see this in IMAX, go see this in Dolby, big screen, big sound, have an absolute freaking awesome time. I can't wait. I'm going to buy my tickets immediately so that I can go see it again. Probably opening weekend because the bigger the crowd, the better. I think this is a great communal experience with the awesome kills and the action scenes and some of the comedy that is mixed in here. I want to see it with people around me again, just like I did tonight. So John Wick 4, it delivers the goods. Be sure and check it out. That's it for this episode of FF Plus. Thank you, as always, for listening. And if you wish, let me know what you think when you go see these films. You can find all of my contact information, my social media channels in the show notes of each and every episode. And look me up. I love to talk. Also, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We would appreciate that very much. Spotify, anywhere you listen, really. Just give us a, a good rating or some kind words, and we are very grateful for that. And be sure to check out all of our great sister shows on the Now Playing Network. You can find a list of those podcasts at nowplayingnetwork.net. I'll be back soon, later this week, in fact, with another couple of film reviews for you. Until then, keep watching and keep feeling filmed.